When I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. All right, yeah, our roster looks great on paper. Whoop the hell. All right. But at the end of the day, we better be a good team. And you start building that during this time of the year. Get your sorry ass up. Get your sorry ass up. Doing a lot of talking with somebody that ain't do shit today. Doing a lot of talking. Do you think you're better than Jarrell Revis is right now? I'm better than you. My 24 years of life, I'm better at life than you. I ain't never seen, I ain't never seen you before, huh? Man, go tell the coach you need some help. We gonna expose you, boy. All right, we coming at your ass. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Roundtable. Let's go, let's go. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Football Roundtable Podcast. Proud members of the Full-Time Fantasy Podcast Network. You can find them at FTF Podnet on Twitter. You can find me at SportsFanaticMB on Twitter. And you can find my co-host for the day, Mr. Matthew Fox, at Nighthawk7734 on Twitter. We are just one of a ton of great podcasts that are associated with this network, some of which are Jim Day of FF Champs, Corey Parsons and Dr. Rhoda from Sirius XM Radio, Bob Lung of the award-winning Fantasy Football Consistency Guide, Dwayne McFarland, Blake Sullivan, and a ton of great others. You can find all of us on FullTimeFantasy.com, your one-stop shop for all of your fantasy news, advice, and strategies. We at the Roundtable are also excited to be partnering with ExpandTheBoxScore.com. You can find them at XTBoxScore on Twitter. They have some of the best baseball, football, and basketball stats in the industry, and they also have college football stats. Some of the hardest stats to find in the industry are college football stats. They have them all. There's even talk now about them bringing on individual defensive player stats, which is just amazing, extremely hard to find. If you follow me on Twitter, any of the college football stuff you see me post all comes from their website. And I use, I mean, I literally use all their stats for all of my stuff. They go so in-depth. It's ridiculous. If you're wanting to get into the stats side or analytical side of NFL or college football, baseball, basketball, check out their website. It's just $15 a year for a subscription to their website. And if you use our code ROUNDTABLE, you get 10% off of that. It's the best deal in the industry. I'm telling you, if you're out of your playoffs, it's you know we're about to go into week 14. If you're out of it... You want to start looking at prospects. The best way to look at dive into the stats, obviously watch film as well, listen and read some of your favorite uh, analysts and people who break down prospects. But if you want to do some of your own homework, telling you $15 for a year, not $15 a month, not $15 a day, $15 a year. That is ridiculously good value. And again, use our code ROUNDTABLE for 10% off of that. You can see all of these stats. Look at these college prospects coming into the 2020 draft. We, as in me and Matt, the Mets are back at it. We will finish breaking down the rest of the Week 13 games, including the Sunday Night, fo- Sunday night Football game and the Monday Night Football game. Hello! And it is Tuesday, which means we've got Mr. Matthew Fox with us as we're going to finish breaking down the rest of the Week 13 games. Matt, how you doing today? Doing a little better today, much like Tyler Lockett powering through the flu, but hopefully I won't give you a zero. Yeah, uh, well, you're already here, so I imagine you won't give me a zero. That that was rough. I mean, I, I, I did talk about it on Friday's podcast with Dennis. Obviously, I thought it was going to be more toward that leg injury than the flu, but hopefully that didn't cost you. He wasn't the only person who didn't perform this week. There was a lot of high-end players that did not come through for you. 
That will be obviously the last game that we talk about. Let's jump in and finish breaking down the games we didn't get to yesterday. Prepare for glory! Come on up, you got your pop on ready. You got your pop on ready. I came out the room out ready. And he's hit the end zone for an unbelievable touchdown. I would be honored if you played football for this team. Throw it up above his head. They can't jump at me. Golly! Only tackle them the four yard line. Who can make a play? start with the game that many consider probably the the game to watch of the weekend and that was the Baltimore Ravens and the San Francisco 49ers Baltimore pulling out the victory here and moving to number one in the AFC winning 22-17 on the uh Ravens side here Lamar Jackson goes 14 to 23 105 yards and one touchdown adds 101 yards on the ground and one touchdown as well to come in a QB Nine with 24.3 points. Mark Ingram, just RB38 this week with 7.2 points. He gets you 59 yards on 15 carries. And then Mark Andrews, 50 yards, three catches, one touchdown. Tight end seven with 12.5 points. The rest of this team did not do much here. We've seen these games, though, from the Ravens wide receivers. Willie Sneed, 12 yards on one catch. Uh, Seth Roberts, five yards on one catch. Marquise Brown, just one yard on one catch. With that being said, and moving forward into the fantasy playoffs, for me, I mean, we saw it again. Mark Ingram really get affected here, I think, by Lamar Jackson and his running. So for me, moving forward, it's just Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews that you can trust in this offense for your fantasy playoffs. What do you take, or what are your takeaways from this Ravens offense? Yeah, that's probably fair if you you want to protect yourself the best. It seems like Andrews is the most consistent target. Um, and obviously Lamar Jackson uh, gets his points. You know, I think Ingram still has value depending on the matchup they're playing. Uh, Brown is probably the ultimate, like, home run shot in the deeper league. Uh, It just depends on who they're playing. Um, This isn't a super high-volume pass offense when they're in close games. I mean, we only saw 105 yards passing, Um, and it was, I think it was in the third quarter when I was watching on Red Zone when they mentioned he had finally gotten a reception by a wide receiver. So, you know, playing wide receiver for Baltimore is not a great fantasy position this year. No, not at all. Even though we've seen Marquise Brown have some... Some really good games and great plays uh, connecting with Lamar Jackson. He definitely targets his tight ends more, and they are definitely based around the run, as are the 49ers. The 49ers are a very run-heavy team as well. Jimmy G goes 15-21, 165 yards and one touchdown to come in at QB 29 with 11.1 points. Raheem Mostert, who I'm sure is the running back everybody started this weekend, Gets 19 carries for 146 yards and one touchdown to come in at RB5 with 22.4 points. Tevin Coleman just six yards on five carries and nine yards on one catch. Debo is the best wide receiver on the day. 41 yards and a touchdown on just two catches. Emmanuel Sanders, 41 yards on four catches. George Kittle, just 17 yards on two catches, though he was getting covered by Marcus Peters. They knew he was the biggest part of their offense and really kind of try to take him away in this one. With that being said, I feel like Debo, we've already talked about it multiple times. Uh, He's definitely a flex play for me every week. Really seems to be now the one in that offense. We saw him take a little bit of a step forward 
once Emmanuel Sanders came over, and Emmanuel Sanders obviously had a couple good games there when he first came over to the 49ers, but I think this is definitely Debo's team in the wide receiver group. You're obviously playing Kittle every week, but what are we doing with these running backs? And obviously, we saw a couple good games out of Tevin Coleman. Matt Breida is the leading rusher on this team, and then you get this game out of Raheem Mostert. Obviously, Breida out probably had something to do with that, but are you just kind of giving up on these backs altogether for the playoffs? I think there's too much value in 49ers running backs to just ignore them completely. But uh, my bigger concern would probably be Tevin Coleman. It looked like he was kind of emerging as the guy. Then Brita had a better game than him for a couple weeks down there. Brita's been out most or two weeks in a row has put up better numbers. Um, I'm starting to wonder what their rotation is going to be like when Brita is healthy again, uh, allegedly is in the running to play again this week. Uh, it's a real concern and a real question, I think, because, it, you know, one of those guys is going to be good. Um, I've played I played Raheem Mostert the week before last and was happy with it, um, getting in that Matt Breida role. Um, and he was good again this week, uh, was obviously the best player. But it's, it's really interesting what's happened to Tevin Coleman because he had a couple of huge games in the middle and has seemed to just, I don't know, fall out of favor for some reason. Yeah, I mean, so that that's the biggest reason why I asked that question is I just don't know who you can trust. I mean, again, Matt Breida is their leading rusher. Now, obviously, he was getting a lot of the workload earlier in the season when Tevin Coleman was hurt. But if Coleman isn't hurt and he's going to be there and then Breida comes back next week, what are you doing with the three of them? Who is it that you think you can trust playing every week? Well, and for the first week of the playoffs, if all three are healthy, you might have to just eat it and play none of them. Um, but I'm curious what their rotation is going to be. Do they think yeah. they are have a better offense running Mostert and Brita? Because those are the guys that seem to be getting the most play when they're in now. It's just, I just really do not have a feel for what's going on with Tevin Coleman. I know his production wasn't great, but it seems like they've totally gone away from him. And from what I've seen, it doesn't even look like he's injured or battling injuries. He's arguably been the healthiest of their guys lately. Yeah, and what's going to be even interesting, I know we're kind of a, a while away from this, but uh, Jarek McKinnon comes back next year. So this uh, backfield is going to get even more confusing in 2020. Next up, we got the Rams and the Cardinals. The Rams put a beat down on the Cardinals, which was not at all what I was expecting. I actually thought the Cardinals were going to end up winning this game. The Rams win 34-7. to on the Rams side here, Jared Goff has a bounce-back game. Uh, obviously, if you guys were playing him this week, you were happy with the performance you got. He goes off in this one, uh, 32 of 43, 442 yards and two touchdowns, comes in at QB7 with 25 points. Todd Gurley has a decent day here, 95 yards on 19 carries and a touchdown, uh, just one catch for 20 yards in the receiving game, RB8 with 18 points. Both Robert Woods and Cooper Cup have good games here. Robert Woods, 13 catches for 172 yards. Still has not gotten into the end zone, but he is definitely getting the uh, getting catches and yards. Comes in at wide receiver 4 with 23.7 points. Cooper Cup, wide receiver 16 with 15.5 points. 65 yards, a beautiful touchdown grab in this one on six catches. And then Tyler Higby. Of course, against the Arizona Cardinals, they continue to just bring back or give you back tons of points at the tight end position. Tight end one on the week, 20.20 points. 
he gets you 107 yards on seven catches and a touchdown. I think Woods and Cup are good to go moving forward. It's actually kind of surprising to me. I could be wrong, but I think going back into the preseason, uh, me and Dennis both thought Brandon Cooks was going to be the one that took a step forward here and Robert Woods kind of fall back. It has obviously been quite the opposite of that. Now, Brandon Cooks did get hurt and missed a lot of time with the concussion, but still, Robert Woods has continued to ball out. Cooper Cup has been everything we all we thought he was going to be. But Tyler Higby, now I know they did play the Cardinals and they have been absolutely pathetic against the tight end position in fantasy and the NFL this year. But if Gerald Everett is out for multiple weeks, do you feel comfortable playing Tyler Higby or do you think this was just kind of a one-off with him going against the Cardinals? Well, now the Rams have been using the tight end quite a bit this season. That's why Gerald Everett, much to our dismay, has continued to kind of be relevant uh, fantasy-wise. So I think if he's out... You know, Higby is a guy, you forget with all the money that the Rams have splashed out for seemingly everyone, was a guy at the beginning of the season who got a big extension of a contract, so obviously a player that they like. Um, he had actually had done pretty well in the early part of the game, had had a uh, touchdown early in the season. So I, I think that with no Everett there, they seem to be wanting to use the tight end. I'd feel much more comfortable relying on him than I would Brandon Cooks at this point. All right, I like it. So he's where um, with us because we've kind of had this, these tight end discussions here the past couple weeks. Uh, you know that kind of we we already know the top tier, and then there's that second tier where a lot of the tight ends fall in. Does Higby fall in there for you, or is he a little bit further down than say the the Jack Doyles? I'm trying to think of some of the other players we've mentioned recently. Uh, but those, those tight ends that are kind of made, like, does he have the touchdown upside? Do you think it's just the Rams offense upside? Like, what about it makes you think that you want to play Tyler Higby? Well, no, probably the biggest drawback is the Rams have been a Jekyll and Hyde act themselves. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I think one of the reasons we had, we struggled with Jack Doyle early in the season is because of Eric Ebron and not knowing who was going to get it or whether they were going to have enough consistency passing. One of the things that you worry about with Gusecki is what happens with that Miami Dolphins offense that sometimes looks lost. I would put him in that group. I mean, if you're looking for a tight end who who could be who could give you some upside, especially if there's no Gerald Everett, then he doesn't have competition. Um, you know, if both those tight ends are playing, it seems like Everett has been the better option than Higby, but both of them take a little bit of a step back for me. But the Rams really, you know, they're pressing for the end of the season because yeah. if they want any chance to get in the playoffs, they pretty much are going to have to win out, maybe go three and one because the, the lowest uh, wild card in the NFC right now is Minnesota, who's sitting, I think, at eight and four. Yep. Uh, the Rams, you know, they're pretty far back to have any chance in their own division. I believe they still have games with the 49ers, and we know they play the Seahawks on Sunday yeah. night. So it's going to be uh, – they're going to have a lot of work to do if they want to try to get back. Yeah, I mean, they. I would imagine they pretty much have to win out. I mean, so technically if you want to look at it from the second wild card, they are just one game behind the Minnesota Vikings. We do know the Vikings play the Packers, which is obviously a tough opponent for them. But the Rams do not have an easy schedule at all, in my opinion. They got, as you just mentioned, the Seahawks this Sunday night. Then they have the Cowboys next week. Then the the 49ers on Saturday night. Uh, that's the right before Christmas where they do the Saturday-Sunday games. So you've got Saturday against the 49ers that night. And then the, obviously the easy one is the Cardinals in Week 16, which you know is obviously a very winnable matchup for them. 
So that is not an easy schedule at all. Like I said, the Vikings have Green Bay, which is probably going to be their toughest opponent because they've yeah they've got the Lions this week, the Chargers, and then the Bears in Week 17. So I mean, and for me, in my opinion, Lions and Chargers easy wins for the Vikings. So then it really kind of comes down to those last two weeks. So much easier schedule for them than the Rams. I I'm I'm with you. I don't think there's any shot they get back into the division because I don't see Seattle. Or or uh, the San Francisco 49ers losing three more. Now, the 49ers, yeah. maybe. I, I'm, let me pull their schedule up because I actually think they do have yeah, a they have, schedule. They have Seahawks. They have Saints. Uh, they have somebody. Uh, they obviously have Rams. It's just so if you were doing over-under, I'm, I'm saying minimum 10 wins to get into the playoffs in yeah. the NFC the way it's going. I actually think the low wild card may end up with 11 wins the way it's tracking. It wouldn't be that surprising to see a Minnesota go – uh, go uh, three and one over the remaining games to finish eleven and five. San Francisco is already the other wild card right now. They're at ten and two, so all yeah. they'd have to do is win a single game to get to eleven wins. So, Rams at seven and five. If you're saying ten minimum, but eleven's more likely, they really do have to win out, and yeah. they have to hurt somebody else because in their own division, I think it's going to be twelve or more that takes it because both those teams are already sitting at ten. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't see there's any shot they get into or they take the division. I mean, again, they do play both of them, so they have a chance to beat both of them and drop them at least one game each. But then, as as I mentioned, the Seahawks schedule moving forward is not that hard. Now, the 49ers do have a, a more difficult schedule, I think, uh, than, I mean, I actually would say probably Los Angeles is harder because they have, obviously, the Saints this week, which is not an easy win. The Falcons, I mean, that is you, – you never know with the Falcons, right? You could be the team that we've seen the past couple weeks or it could see the team – it could be the team that was playing throughout the entire first part of the season that couldn't even win games. But then they do have the Rams-Seahawks. So those are two games that obviously could not be uh, – that may not be easy either. So if they do lose to the Saints this weekend, there is technically a chance, I guess, that the Rams could jump the 49ers at least – Wins wise, but I still I I don't see it. I don't see him catching all three. There's just no way or all three catching either one of them. I think their best shot is hoping Minnesota loses a couple of their easy games to kind of sneak into that last wild card spot. Anyways, or that they get some kind of sudden transfer to the NFC East and move the Eagles over to the. Oh well, I think they're all wishing that. I think half the half the NFC is wishing they could get into the NFC East. I mean, you got the Chicago Bears who are still hoping they're in it. So yeah, it's it's all kind of. I mean, even the Cardinals right now who we're about to talk about, if they were the NFC East, they'd still have a shot to win it. So it's 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 a very obviously we talked about it a lot yesterday. It's a piss poor division. The uh, Cardinals side here, Kyler Murray, 19-34, 163 yards, no touchdowns, and an interception does add uh, 28 yards and a touchdown on the ground, though. He comes in as QB20 with 14.3 points. Kenyon Drake, RB42 with 6.1 points. Drake gets you 31 yards on 13 carries, uh, doesn't really do anything in the receiving game, just 20 yards on two catches. And then Larry Fitzgerald, wide receiver, 39 with 8.6 points, 56 yards on six catches. Christian Kirk, who a lot of people were high on this season, just 23 yards on three catches, though he did get Jalen Ramsey, so you probably were not expecting him to be that good. 
I mean, Kyler Murray has actually been good most of the season, so I'm going to give him a little bit of a break on one bad game here. He still has a decent day, mostly because of that rushing touchdown. But going into the playoffs, we know Drake has moved ahead of David Johnson on the depth chart. Uh, so does Drake do anything for you? Low-end flex play, RB2. What are your thoughts about him moving forward? Again, with, in all honesty, a, a decent schedule Ah, I take that back. Two, he's got one game, fantasy playoffs-wise, and that's next week against the Browns because they got the Steelers this week who are a very good defense regardless of what that offense might look like. That defense is still really good. Then they have the Browns, and then they have the Seahawks, who who can be beat, but I don't know if Drake is going to be the one who beats them. Yeah, it's it's really tough. Just a complete goose egg from uh, the Cardinals. On Sunday, I was kind of with you. I, I picked the Rams because I thought they were they're a better and more desperate team. But it wouldn't shock me if the Cardinals had gotten victory. They're coming off of a bye week. They're at home. Uh, they just they have nothing going on right now, and just some weird uh, energy with that team. You know, Tremaine Brock, who's been one of their better cover corner guys, they decided to release yesterday. So not sure what all's going on. Uh, in Arizona, you have to figure David Johnson is probably done there because as far as I can tell, he's not really battling injuries. He's just has completely fallen out of favor. But Drake was great his first week against a really tough opponent, the 49ers, and has just been so-so ever since. Um, yeah. You know, you wouldn't have thought, based on what we've seen from the Rams' defense this season, uh, that you would see a guy who got as many touches in what had been as decent an offense seemingly as Drake that would end up with 51 total yards and two receptions. So he gets you, what, about seven points in PPR. You'd like to say if he's getting a lion's share of the carries in an offense like this uh, that's both robust rushing and passing that he would be worth RB2 value, but the inconsistencies for Arizona the last few weeks uh, really give me pause. I'd say flex probably at best, and that's only because it seems like he's taken over the number one role. It's the same kind of with receivers. We've seen Christian Kirk has almost seemed like the ultimate feast or famine. You know, one week he's getting you three touchdowns and 100 yards, and then this week, you know, he had seven targets, but he really didn't exist much. Fitzgerald is steady, unimpressive. This entire offense has really been tough to figure, and given that schedule, I don't know how good you feel about relying on them in the playoffs. Yeah, I I, I don't really, to be honest with you. I mean, like I said, uh, for me, obviously I love Christian Kirk coming into this season. Him being injured early on didn't help any. As you mentioned, he came back. I think it was actually his first game back or his second game back. He gets the three touchdowns in that game, just goes off, and it was a great matchup for him. Called that game beforehand. That was actually my uh, pie bet week. That is who I picked. Ended up being the wide receiver one overall that week. But, uh, yeah, I'm with you. With the, with the schedule they have coming up, they've got uh, outside of the Browns, Steelers, Seahawks, neither one of those teams – uh, are, are beatable defense, or they're beatable, but they're not uh, easy matchups defensively. And this offense going up against them, I personally would not trust any of these guys uh, in the fantasy playoffs of anything lower or anything other than a, a probably low end flex play. Next up, we've got your Denver Broncos going up against the Los Angeles Chargers, pulling out a 23-20 win. On the Chargers' side, Phillip Rivers, 20-29, 265 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception to come in as QB17 with 17.6 points. Austin Eckler comes in at RB18 with 14.7 points in this one. 
getting you 16 yards on nine carries, but adds 51 yards on four catches and a touchdown. Melvin Gordon, 99 yards on 20 carries and 11 yards on two catches to come in at RB23 with 12 points. Keenan Allen keeps finding the end zone all of a sudden. 68 yards on six catches and a touchdown in this one coming at wide receiver 15 with 15.8 points. And Mike Williams, wide receiver 20 with 14.2 points. Two great catches in this game. Five catches, 117 yards. On the Chargers side, is Keenan Allen back? We we talked about it in the, I believe it was like the mid-season uh, thing when me, you, and Tony did where we kind of talked about Keenan Allen had really been putting up decent numbers. He just wasn't getting into the end zone, and that's what was really kind of making his fantasy day is if he could find the end zone and get those six points. Are you believing in it? I know... I believe it. I can't remember if it was on the on the podcast or not yesterday, but we talked about how he scored his touchdown against the Denver Broncos, which was obviously fairly lucky. But the week before, it was actually a good touchdown. So, what are your thoughts about Keenan Allen moving into the fantasy playoffs? I think his biggest, uh, you know, drawback is the fact that they have other weapons, uh, even in the passing game. You know, you have Eckler, Hunter Henry is the one that ends up taking a huge back seat in this game. Um, because I think basically where we're at with the Chargers is they have five fantasy relevant pieces in Williams, Allen, Eckler, Gordon, and Hunter Henry, but they can't sustain all of them every week. So you're going to see somebody kind of fall off. Melvin Gordon just has an eh game. Eckler's the one because he catches a touchdown and then Allen and Williams do better. Hunter Henry, you know, if you were starting on him and relying on him, uh, this wasn't a great game for you. And I think that's part of the problem this isn't a super high volume offense philip rivers has looked confused and lost at times early in this game he basically just uh shot putted one to a defensive end for the broncos uh keenan allen um his touchdown in this game was a little bit of luck i think i mentioned harris appeared not to realize they had shifted to man to man and keenan allen was left to go wide open over the middle and catches that 36 yard touchdown kind of changed a little of the momentum in the game uh but you know keenan allen still matchups which Mike Williams so it's going to depend a little bit on the defenses they face and a little bit just on Philip Rivers and this team in general the Chargers last year tied for the best record in the AFC they are actually dead last in the AFC West now because they lost both their games to the Broncos and have the same record so they are actually the fourth place team in their own division it's just it's incredible a team that only lost four games last year they were I think eight no on the road they're two and four on the road this year they just they look like they're missing something on both sides of the ball. Yeah, and I mean, in all honesty, some of it comes back, to, I think, to Phillip Rivers. We talked about it a lot yesterday. He just doesn't – he seems – and I don't – when I make this comparison, I'm not trying to say they're obviously the same kind of quarterback as Peyton Manning as a Hall of Famer, one of the best to ever play the game. But for me, it, when watching the games that I've watched of them this year, it almost seems like that huge fall-off we saw of Peyton Manning where – one year he was leading the Broncos with the best offense in the league and looked unstoppable, and then the next year that defense carries that team all the way to the playoffs in a Super Bowl win. I mean, many people seem to forget that Brock Osweiler actually came in and won crucial games for them because just how bad Peyton Manning had become, and I almost am afraid that that's what Phillip Rivers is becoming. He just doesn't well, look like Brock, the same player. Brock only won games because Peyton Manning got knocked out with injury. Hey. He didn't. 
but he, he didn't he, replace no, when he, Manning yeah, was available. Not, yeah, yeah, it's not like Peyton Manning. They didn't bench Peyton Manning. I wasn't, I wasn't meaning that. I'm just meaning yeah. like Brock Wasser, uh, Brock Osweiler was there. He won well, games for them to get into the playoffs. You know, they got into the Super Bowl, and I think we can all be honest. It was it was Vaughn Miller and that defense that won them that Super Bowl. It was yeah. not Peyton Manning. There was a time actually on Sunday that they were uh, looking at Tyrod Taylor, and there was some question among the announcers about yeah. whether they were going to replace Philip Rivers. Well, that's because I don't know if you saw the story. They were talking about this beforehand. I want to say it came out on Friday, but I could be wrong. Uh, that there was talk. It was uh, yeah, because it couldn't have been Thanksgiving, so it had to have been Friday. Friday or Saturday. There was a story yeah. that came out that if Philip Rivers continued playing the way they would, that they were going to put Tyrod Taylor in because many people may not know this. Well, Anthony they Lynn very has nearly a did it. Oh, they did. Or yeah, they, they very did nearly it? put him in on Sunday. Um, because after Rivers threw that interception that was picked off by yeah. Draymond Jones, who's a defensive end, um, they looked like Tyrod Taylor had gotten his home. Gotcha. Uh, it just, I wonder about this quarterback class 2004, you know, Rivers, Manning, and uh, Roethlisberger, they were so reliable and had so many great years. And obviously Eli Manning giving way now to, uh, Daniel Jones, hard to imagine them, uh, what we saw the two years prior, that he's somebody that's going to get picked up to yeah. be a starter somewhere else. Roethlisberger, obviously kind of a brutal injury. His team hasn't been great without him at the quarterback position, but really unknown. And now, you know, Rivers, obviously, a lot of questions uh, coming up. And, you know, the Chargers have some great young players in other positions and I'm just thinking Rivers window looks like it, it closed last year when they couldn't pass the Chiefs and get a home playoff game and get further in the AFC. Yeah. All right, on the Broncos side, we finally got to see Drew Locke out there and making his first start with the Denver Broncos and, and looked fairly good early on. I saw, obviously, the first touchdown pass to Cortland Sutton in a little bit of that first half. Uh, he goes 18-28, 134 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. Adds 15 yards on the ground, coming to QB 21 with 13.9 points. Uh, Phillip Lindsay, RB 37 with 7.7 .7 points, 58 yards on 17 carries. Adds four yards on three catches, and then Cortland Sutton continues to ball out and be a wide receiver one. 74 yards, four catches, and two touchdowns comes in as wide receiver five with 21.4 points. So as I mentioned, Drew Locke and Sutton's had a nice connection early. Uh, Drew Locke, I thought, looked very good uh, early on. What were your takeaways uh, from this Broncos offense as they were your team. I'm sure you're watching the entire game. Uh, and, you know, what are your thoughts on Lindsey and Sutton, who I think are probably the only fantasy-relevant players moving forward and into the fantasy playoffs? Uh, yeah, I think that's definitely true. Sutton seems to be quarterback-proof. He's produced uh, good numbers no matter who's been back there. I thought uh, Locke looked uh, pretty good, um, especially at the beginning. I, I'm... With some of the other Broncos fans, some of the play calling uh, seemed a little bit weird as they got uh, further into the game. It seems like the past few weeks, Denver starts a super aggressive uh, offensive play calling and then just kind of, I'm not sure what their plan is uh, going later into the game, which is a little frustrating. I think that was a little bit of uh, some of what dogged uh, Locke and why he didn't uh, put up some bigger numbers going through. <coughs> Uh, the game, uh, but you know they've they've had their moments. Um, it was a uh, it was nice to get a win 
Um, you know, I'm still excited probably more for the future. They've got a couple of good young running backs, a good young number one receiver. I still like uh, Fant. Um, Locke and Fant were very close to a big hookup in this game. He just was a little wide of the mark. They said this last week was the first time uh, since the regular season started that Drew Locke has had any reps with starting offensive players. So kind of tells you maybe a little bit where they're at in terms of chemistry. Uh, so I think that's going to improve. Um, it was interesting to me. Denver went back to using Jeff Hireman a lot, uh, which I think is what limited some of Noah Fant. We had seen kind of an uptick, and I was getting a little excited about him possibly being kind of the number two option. That took a step back, but we'll see. Uh, the schedule doesn't get any easier. They go to the Texans next week, so i uh, be curious to see what Locke looks like then because, you know, we saw Brandon Allen a little bit earlier come out and have a really good uh, first game against the Browns and then kind of subsequently took a few steps back as the competition got a little bit harder and the challenges got harder when you're away from home. Yeah. So I'll be curious to see what happens there. Yeah, nobody nobody mentions the Browns and tough matchup in the same sentence, so I'm with you on that part. Uh, next up, we've got the Chiefs and the Raiders. The Chiefs winning this one 42-9. Derek Carr, just 20-30, 222 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions in this one. Uh, really kind of uh, struggles, but that there has been a lot of people who say that he struggles in, in cold-weather games and, well, in Arrowhead. Comes in at QB 26 with 11.6 points. Josh Jacobs running back 27 with 10.4 points. Talked about it. Uh, I did not think he'd have a big day here. Still gets you 100 yards, so that's good. Uh, on 17 carries, was not able to do much in the passing game. Of course, some of that might be the fact that David Carr just kept – or Derek Carr, my goodness. I, I'm talking about his older brother here for a minute. Either way. Yeah, I guess it is. it almost is the same quarterback. Uh, missed him open, wide open on a couple of plays. And one of them is, uh, I'm sure, all over the places. You saw Josh Jacobs just jumping up and down like five yards away from the line of scrimmage, wide open. Uh, but, you know, still a, a decent day, but that not, no, nothing. My goodness, guys, I can't talk. No touchdown, and obviously nothing in the receiving game hurts him big here. And then Waller comes in at tight end five with 13.5 points, 100 yards on seven catches. I mean, it's just Jacobs and Waller, right? I know a lot of people, like uh, Dennis was talking about on Friday's podcast, he thought Tyrell Williams was still going to be a good play and a decent play. I, I haven't seen anything out of the guy recently to, to believe in that. For me, going into the fantasy playoffs, I think it's only Waller and Jacobs you can throw in your lineups and feel good about. Yeah, and even Waller, you know, it was nice to see the 7 for 100 because we'd seen uh, quite a few uh, middling to poor games in a row. I think really the question you have to ask yourself going into the fantasy playoffs, do you want to have your season riding on the arm and decision-making of Derek Carr? Maybe you feel a little bit better the if the Raiders are at home. They're 5-1 and one at home, 1-5 and five on the road, but it feels like you know, they were in a great position where they were really making a run at the playoffs and have kind of the wheels have come off the bus. Yeah, I mean, if if, if it's really coming down to the question you just asked, uh, it would be a uh, 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 no for me. I do not trust Derek Carter. I would trust Josh Jacobs because he, I guess, in a way kind of controls his own destiny in that fact. I mean, all yeah, he just needs Derek off. Carter to to hand him the ball yeah. he doesn't have to have car throw him the ball he just seems exactly to and even that i think is a little bit nerve-wracking when you're watching him try and hand the ball off as well so i i, I do get you there well, the raiders kind of looking at their uh playoff schedule they 
they have a tough Tennessee Titans team that's kind of playing for the playoffs next week. And we saw what they did kind of shutting down Indianapolis, which is a good running team last week. Then you get the Jaguars, should be a better matchup and at home. But then the Raiders end with two straight on the road at the Chargers. Shouldn't really scare you, but they've been pretty bad on the road. And then at Denver in those division games, you just never know how they're going to go. Yeah. Yeah, it's, like I said, for me, it's Josh Jacobs. I would still, in a way, trust Waller. I do get what you're saying about the whole Derek Carr narrative there. But as we've talked about at nauseum, it seems like the past couple of podcasts, uh, just how bad the tight end landscape is. I mean, Darren Waller seems to now be with with nothing else. I mean, obviously Hunter Renfro got hurt, uh, and no Tyro Williams has just not shown up at all. Waller seems to be the number one in that offense, so I'd take that in his possible upside uh, for me moving forward. On the Chiefs' side, you got Patrick Mahomes comes in at QB 13 this week with 19.5 points. Uh, has, has not really kind of lived up to the billing of the Patrick Mahomes we saw last season so far this year, but 15 to 29, 175 yards and just one touchdown, no interceptions. Does add a rushing touchdown in this one, though, in 25 yards. Darwin Thompson actually has a game here. The preseason darling that everybody was on, 44 yards on 11 carries and one touchdown. Doesn't do really anything in the receiving game. Comes in at RB29 with 10.4 points. Shady McCoy, RB26 with 10.5 points in this one. 10 yards, one touchdown on five carries. Does get 20 yards on three catches. Tyree Kill comes in at wide receiver 49 with 7.6 points. 55 yards on five catches. And then Travis Kelsey, 90 yards on five catches. Is tied in nine with 11.5 points. As I mentioned, Darwin Thompson was a preseason darling. A lot of people were drafting him, especially after... uh, we saw the news with Damian Williams before anything happened with LaShawn McCoy. We didn't know he was going to be coming over. So a lot of people were thinking Darwin Thompson was going to have a chance to take a step forward if you didn't trust in Damian Williams. We know Damian Williams dealing with injuries kind of looks like he might be out for a couple more weeks. Darwin Thompson, a worthwhile add moving into the fantasy playoffs. Yeah, I think so, definitely, because the Chiefs lost Darrell Williams, um, too, and he's not expected to play, and I think that's what really opened the opportunity up for Thompson. Uh, the only thing that would scare you is you just it's hard to get a feel for what they want to do with these running backs and their playing time and what can play them in and out of rotation. You know, we saw McCoy seemingly take over and then all of a sudden vanish, and Damian Williams is the guy for a while, and then he gets nicked up, and McCoy comes back in, but you know, even though he wasn't really nicked up, didn't seem to be a big part of the game flow. It's just really, it's hard to depend on a Chiefs running back. Yeah, I mean, for me, I'd add him and then see what happens because I personally don't trust LaShawn McCoy, but he's not someone if I can get him off waivers this week, then I'm plugging in my lineup week 14 unless you see them come out and say, hey, we're starting Darwin Thompson. He's our guy moving forward. I mean, even then they've said that about other guys, and they've only played like a couple of drives and they come out. Uh, but maybe I'd throw him in there if you hear Andy Reid come out and say that. Otherwise, I'd add him, see what happens, because LaShawn McCoy has been benched before because of fumbling issues and the quote-unquote load management. So we'll see what happens with them moving forward. But I agree, he is definitely a worthwhile act. The Sunday night football game uh, was not nearly as close as the final score indicates here, but the Patriots lose to the Texans 22-28. Tom Brady, 24-47, 326 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception to come in at QB6 with 25.3 points. Did also have a great 13-yard run, looked like a white version of Lamar Jackson out there, if I do say so myself. (laughs) James White. 
79 yards on 14 carries. Also gets 98 yards on 8 catches and 2 touchdowns to come in at RB1 on the week with 33.7 points. And Julian Edelman just continues to produce in this offense. Uh, does technically get one carry that goes for negative 7 yards, but also gets 106 yards on 6 catches and 1 touchdown. Coming in as, again, wide receiver 9 with 18.9 points. I know White had a big game here, and he is still actually having a very good season, which is is kind of surprising because I feel like we really haven't talked about him much lately. But for me, it's just Julian Edelman that you can trust in this offense. What do you, what is your take on these guys and the Patriots offense? Yeah, I think that's the problem with the running back right now is their usage depends a lot on how the game is going. If they had been up and trying to milk things, I think you would have seen them continue on with what they started the game with, which was a heavy dose of Sony Michel. Yeah. He seems to be their battering ram, their running option. As soon as they got down and nothing was working, it's all James White all the time. This is what made him a hero uh, when they beat Atlanta in the Super Bowl. They got down 21-3. It's all James White all the time. He's making all the plays. It That feels like his role. And then you always have wild card things like Rex Burkhead. You know, you don't know what kind of tactics he's going to get. So the real hard part with these running backs is somebody's going to have value, but you can't, unless you have a crystal ball and know how the game flow is going to go, it's really hard to tell who's going to be the one that gets the opportunities. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy, too, to think because he's actually running back 17 on the season, which is just insane. And just going back and looking at some of his numbers, I mean, well, obviously last week the .4 point week did not help you, but 7.6 and then 15-4, 9-9, 9-4, points, 10 points, 9 points, 10, 10, 11. Like, he's actually had a really good season, and maybe it's – Maybe it's because I don't own him anywhere, so I haven't really yeah. noticed it. But I feel like I've watched the games, and again, I do own Sony Michelle in a couple big leagues, so I've been watching to see what Sony does. Maybe I've missed out on James White. I just don't know if you can trust him because as much as – you are definitely right on what you were just talking about with White and Michelle, and we've talked about it before. I've said at this point you can't play Michelle because I just don't know how often the Patriots are going to be so far ahead in games that they're just going to use Michelle to run out the game. And I don't see him getting a lot of red zone work. The only game I could see that happening in is in two weeks against the Bengals, where they might just hand the ball off to Sony Michelle, and he's going to do all the work himself against a bad Bengals team. But the Chiefs this week, yes, I know they've been run all over the past couple weeks. I don't think they're going to lean that heavily on Sony Michelle, do you? No, and, and you know that's the real tough part. It depends on weather, climate. We obviously saw a more heavy dose of Sony Michelle in that uh, snow game that they played in, uh, or when the conditions were poor. Um, that seems to be an offensive strategy they lean on more. I mean, White in PVR is probably a steady low-end flex that yeah. has a potential for upside. Michelle is the real frustrating one because you can tell that they would like to be able to run and just maintain the clock, and he would be the one they would choose to do it with. But their line isn't as good as it used to be. Their offense in general isn't as good as they used to be. And you know, they don't have the greatest uh, schedule down the stretch yeah. because they have some tough, you know, the the Chiefs as a team that's capable of putting up points. Bengals could be a good matchup. But then when you see the Bills yeah. uh, hanging out there and, you know, those teams are only one game apart now, that actually could be a divisional game that has some meaning yep. for the Patriots for the first time in a long time. I mean, when was the last time you can remember the AFC East not being decided in late December? 
Yeah, it's definitely going to be a, a, a interesting game. I mean, like I said, the Patriots could very easily lose this weekend to the Chiefs, and all of a sudden now they're sitting there at the same record as the Bills, and then they have that game the week after, or two weeks later, because they, they do have the Patriots. I'm trying to remember, the Bills have a tough matchup this week as well. They get the Ravens, so that's not an easy win for them either. But I do think it could end up being a good game than the Steelers, than that Patriots game. So I think that that game right there in Week 16 could be a big game. I would not be surprised if, surprised if that game ends up getting flexed into a late night game. It's sitting as a as a 3:30 game right now. I would not be surprised if they flex it, especially if it's going to have the meaning it looks like it could at this point in time. The Texans side, I mean, they come up with a big win here. They have struggled to beat the Patriots since Deshaun Watson has been there. They are 0-4 against them the last couple matchups where they pull out the win here. And, and convincingly, convincingly, like I said, that 28-22 score is not indicative at all as what the game actually looked like. The, 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 the Texans were running away with this. The fourth quarter was really kind of when the Patriots came back and made it look like a game. Deshaun Watson, 18-25, 234 yards and three touchdowns in this one. Does also get a receiving touchdown as well from DeAndre Hopkins to come in at QB 11 with 21.3 points. Duke Johnson is the best running back on the day. 36 yards for nine on nine carries, 54 yards on five catches, and a touchdown to come in RB. Uh, I didn't even mark it, but he had a good day, 17.5 points. DeAndre Hopkins, wide receiver 25 with 13.10 points, 64 yards on five catches and a passing touchdown. And then Kenny Stills caught a long touchdown pass as well. Uh, gets you 61 yards, three catches and a touchdown. Wide receiver 23 with 13.6 points. Uh, for me, I... I I think you kind of have to keep avoiding these running backs. It feels like every other week it's either Hyde or Johnson or Johnson or Hyde. For me, I don't think you can trust either running back moving forward. Uh, I know Johnson had a decent day here, and they were only one carry apart. Johnson has nine. Hyde had ten. Uh, Johnson obviously does get a lot more work in the receiving game, but I don't think you can trust on that every single week. For me, moving forward, it's just Hopkins and Watson uh, with, with, the, with the Texans and the fantasy playoffs. Obviously, the Broncos this week, which is not an easy matchup. Uh, he's going to probably be lined up against Chris Harris, but you still got to play Hopkins. But then Titans, Buccaneers in Week 16, which I know we've talked about before. You can make it to that Week 16 matchup. Hopefully, Hopkins will eat big time in that game. Uh, do you agree with that? Would you Would you trust either one of the running backs, or is it just Watson and Hopkins for you on the Texans? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think you can really trust uh, the running backs at this point in time. They don't have a consistent enough running game. I would say, based on the matchup with Denver, I would fire up Will Fuller next week um, because the receiver opposite, yeah. Chris Harris, uh, has done pretty well. Whether it's been Devontae Harris or Isaac Yadam out there, I mean, we saw Mike Williams five for one seventeen. Yeah, caught a couple of bombs. That would be right in Will Fuller's wheelhouse. So Fuller All would right. be a guy. For this week, based on matchup, I'd be pretty excited about. All right, I like that call. I will definitely use that and 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 quote you on that on the Friday podcast and attribute. I mean, it doesn't you. it doesn't make me happy because I'm <laughs> right. telling, telling you that there's a black hole opposite Chris Harris on the Broncos, but such is life. Yeah. Hey. Hey. I mean, you guys could be the Cleveland Browns. I mean, I feel like I if I'm a Broncos fan, I'm probably happier with the way my team looks right now than I am the Cleveland Browns because. You know, I feel like we're the, we're the Dallas Cowboys of the AFC. All this talent, and we can't do anything with it. The Monday Night Football game, you had the Minnesota Vikings and the Seattle Seahawks in a big matchup deciding playoff spots right now this late in the season, and the, the Seahawks come away with the win, 37-30. to 
On the Vikings side, Kirk Cousins, 22 of 38, 276 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception to come in at QB 15 with 18 points. Dalvin Cook, RB 24 with 11.9 points, 29 yards on nine carries and a touchdown. Now he did get hurt in this game and kind of and sat out from pretty early on in the third quarter. Uh, does get you 35 yards on three catches as well. And Stephon Diggs got hurt as well. RB. My goodness, wide receiver 53 with 7.2 points, 25 yards on four catches. Now, I have not seen anything. Have you heard anything else on their injuries? Are they going to be good to go next week? If not... Yeah, so Dalvin Cook says there's no, that he'll be ready to go 100%. Okay. Somebody else said that it was an AC joint injury, uh-huh. uh, which, of course, we know is what happened uh, to James Conner. Yeah. And James Conner was good to go with the AC joint injury for about a series. Um, gotcha. So that would definitely be a concern. You would also think, uh, unfortunately, you know, you don't like to disrespect anyone, but they could probably beat the Lions at home without Dalvin Cook. Yeah. Um, so I would say Dalvin Cook is very optimistic and wants to be out there, and that's a great thing. I would be less uh, certain. Um, it's definitely a situation worth worth watching. Obviously, with them having played last night, they're going to be a day or so behind other teams in getting into their normal game flow and practice. Uh, they wouldn't have had normal reports and stuff today especially having traveled from the west coast back home uh last night so i would start watching wednesday thursday friday uh in particular and see uh you know if he's not practicing at all even if they tell you he's good to go or even if he dresses i'm gonna be a little nervous about that yeah i mean i'm i'm nervous in general i did not see the play i mean i've seen it now but i did not see it when i did not see when it happened i saw everybody on twitter talking about how he looked like he was in a lot of pain possibly crying on the field, which I mean, I can't imagine. I don't. I know some people were making it a big deal. If I'm sorry, if I sprained my AC joint, I'd probably be on the ground crying too. Uh, it cannot be a very. It's. I would assume it has to be a very painful injury. Uh, but regardless, I'm. I'm with you. You have to watch that because if you have Alexander Madison, I think you're fine. I, I do think while he's not Dalvin Cook, he will still provide good enough value for you. But if you were not able to get Alexander Madison and and handcuff Dalvin Cook. You might really need to watch this, even if they do say he's good to go. An AC joint, that is a tough injury to play through, regardless how tough you are. And all it takes is one good hit on that shoulder, and you could be done, as you mentioned with James Conner. So it could be, maybe he's out there for two series or three series. If he doesn't put that many points up for you, and then he comes out of the game, you're in your playoffs. This is it. There's no messing around. Unless you're in one of those two-week playoff things where maybe you can suffer having not having a good week. You can't joke around with this. So I would watch that very carefully. And in all honesty, if you have someone that might be able to bring you at least some decent fantasy production, I might lean that way and sit Dalvin Cook this week until you see that he is good to go. Well, and honestly, the Vikings are in a position where they have to be looking ahead from an NFL perspective to the postseason. And we saw, obviously, with the James Conner situation, he wanted to suit up. They actually were in a more must-win situation. They put him out there. He got re-injured, and then we haven't seen him for a couple of weeks. I would think that's probably giving the Vikings a moment of pause with the Lions at home and then at the Chargers on the schedule. You know, the Chargers probably have the worst home field advantage of any team in the National Football League. They're probably more focused on December 23rd against the Packers as being a game that will likely decide their playoff position and fate 
And if I'm them and I have any concerns about Dalvin Cook, like you said, Alexander Madison has looked decent. They're hoping they should have Adam Thielen back next week. They've gotten Kyle Rudolph going. I think the Vikings may take a preemptive strike. Yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting to watch for sure. On the Seattle Seahawks side here, again, they come away with the win. Russell Wilson comes in as QB 16 with 17.9 points in this one. <clears throat> My goodness, sorry, excuse me. 21 of 31, 240 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. Does that 13 yards on the ground. Chris Carson and Rashad Penny come through for you this week, though. Penny has the better day. RB3 with 24.7 points, 74 yards on 15 carries and one touchdown. Adds 33 yards on four catches and a touchdown in this one. Chris Carson, 102 yards on 23 carries and a touchdown. Just one catch for seven yards. RB11 with 17.4 points. David Moore comes in as the best wide receiver, 65 yards on two catches, one touchdown. Wide receiver 24 with 13.5 points. And then Metcalf wide receiver 35 with 9.5 points, 75 yards on six catches. Uh, just out targets Hollister by one uh, there. Hollister 44 yards on six catches, getting the most targets eight. Uh, you mentioned it earlier, Tyler Lockett, 0-4-0. Zero zero. Does get three targets in this game, dealing with the flu and that leg injury, which again, he ended up in the hospital. That's not something that should be looked at lightly. I do think some of that is still bothering him as well, especially a guy who depends on his speed as much as he does. Uh, I'm interested to see if we hear anything else uh, more about him moving forward. I do think, though, after this week, you should be good to fire him up. Moving into the playoffs, what are we doing with this backfield, though? I mean, it seems like Penny is all of a sudden coming on and coming on strong. Yeah, I think they've leaned more heavily on the run. I wanted to go back a minute. I actually have a few concerns about Locke. I don't okay. know. You know, obviously he was dealing with that leg injury. He's been playing the last few games, but here is his last three games. Three receptions for 26 yards on four targets. Mm -hmm. One reception for 38 yards on two targets. Zero receptions on three targets. It, you know, something's not right there. And, you know, I don't know if he's just a set it and forget it wide receiver too. Uh, When you're going into the playoffs, when you've had kind of three real rough games uh, in a row. Metcalf has seemed like the better bet among the receivers the last few weeks. Um, And I think that, you know, some of the injuries and some of the inconsistency in the wide receiving core is dragging a little bit of Wilson's value down. We've seen his numbers down a little bit the last few weeks. And he's part of the reason that they're just really riding the running game hard. You know, I still think Chris Carson is worth a play, but Penny appears to be worth a play also. He, uh, you know, as our friend Dennis has said, he's a talented player. If he would get some opportunity and get out of his own way, he seems like maybe he's figured it out a little bit. I don't know how seriously I take the Monday night announcing crew with some of their verbal foibles, but I thought it was interesting. They talked a little bit last night that Penny had said in his interviews he didn't take professional football that seriously last year. Yeah, well, guess what that. it showed. Uh, and he talked about a recommitment this year. He definitely looks a, a lot better than last year, and I don't think it's just uh, wishful thinking. Um, I, I thought he has looked better the last couple of weeks. He's looked like he's more committed. He's just trying to make the most of his opportunities. And, I, you know, the Seattle is a team that historically has really loved to run if they can run and dominate that way and hold the ball and the clock. And it seems like both guys are going good. Both will have some value, I think, for the playoffs. 
Yeah, so just to uh, throw this out there, while, literally while we were talking about that, uh, Mike Zimmer has come out and said that Dalvin Cook is fine. So I guess, you know, again, just take that for what it's worth. We were just talking about it. I, I'm i a little hesitant to believe that, but I guess if the head coach is coming out and saying that, well, we'll see what happens. I'm still going to wait a little bit before I just plug him into my lineup. Uh, that does get, break down the rest of the games there. Before we cut out of here, though, there was some breaking news earlier. I meant to get it at the start of the podcast, so let's just go ahead and do it here, talk about it to wrap up the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. And that is that Ron Rivera was fired. We, we talked about this at, uh, I shouldn't say at nauseum, but at decent length yesterday about what might happen with him and the Panthers. Uh, you know, we kept talking about how Kyle Allen, once that news came out that they might trade Cam Newton, all of a sudden fell flat on his face. And do they give Ron Rivera one more year or not? He's been fired, which is in all honesty surprising to me. I, I cannot... We, we talked about it yesterday. David Tepper comes from the Pittsburgh Steelers organization. You almost ne- I don't think they've ever fired a coach in season. So I'm kind of surprised that they did it. I'm wondering if we're going to hear anything else come out. Uh, we did see a lot of the talk, at least I saw a lot of the talk today, talking about the thing that really hurt him was uh, the fact that the defense for the Panthers has been so bad, and that is his calling card. What are your thoughts on this news coming out earlier today about him uh, getting fired? Yeah, and I guess this is uh, the part in time where I have to apologize for Ron Rivera and the Panthers for uh, throwing that out there yesterday. <laughs> like we brought yeah. this about. Uh, but, you know, part of why I said that I had more concern for him, you know, you could make it, an argument that, you know, things have not been right with Cam Newton for two years and that significantly impacts their team and, and the build of their team, which is certainly true. But the defense... Uh, has just has definitely fallen off in recent years and we talked about Sunday's game they were just getting run all over by a Redskins team that we have noted throughout the season has one of the poorer offensive lines in professional football so that you know that gives you a moment of pause that being said I wouldn't have been so surprised about Rivera being out after the season I am very surprised he gets fired with four games left I don't really see the benefit or the wisdom in this uh, you know sometimes you you fire a coach midseason because you're just done with it and to placate fans or to give a team a kick in the butt but Ron Rivera actually seems like a coach that had been pretty popular with his fan base um, you know obviously they're fading again but I it's not like a move like this right now even if it gave them a spark could get them into the playoffs they're in a demonstrably worse position than the Rams you know they haven't been mathematically eliminated but at five and seven I would say there's probably a better chance of one of us winning an Emmy for this podcast than there (laughs) is of them making the NFC field in the playoffs uh because it's you know it's impossible to think basically no other NFC contender would be able to win a game the rest of the season uh you know from the Vikings on down for the Panthers to have really a shot to make it in so it just, I, I don't know what it benefits them. I think it's a tough end. I also think Ron Rivera is a guy that's going to go somewhere else. Yeah, I would imagine it's not going to take long for him uh, to land somewhere else. I still think he's a great defensive coach, and he probably doesn't get, I don't think he gets a head coaching job as early as next year, but I would not be surprised if he's not a head coach again 
in the NFL, and I would say watch yourself on that Emmy thing. I, I submit our stuff to the to the iHeartRadio stuff for the podcast, the words all stuff all the time. We're gonna win one one of these days. I just I just know it. It's coming. It's coming our way with all the hard work that we put in there. So that's what I said. We have we have a oh, okay yeah, yeah okay than the Panthers do. My bad, my bad. I misheard you. Okay, I'm, I'm. I agree with you on that. You're right, buddy. All right, cool. I just thought, you know, thought maybe you were taking a subtle dig, and I was, I was looking at something on my phone. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. But all right, we're good. All right, so I, I I'm, I'm with you though on the Ron Rivera thing. It does. It surprises me as well. Just the fact that they, they fired him with four games left to go. Why not just let him finish out the season? Uh, I can't imagine. I mean, I get it sometimes in college uh, because it does give you that. Uh, if you fire a coach as early, not that I advocate for any coach to get fired early, but if they get fired early, they do get a little bit more time to kind of get their coach. They t- they are able to talk to coaches before other teams are that fire theirs or, or their coaches move on, which also gives you time to get up and get ready for the recruitment trail and everything that happens in college football because that happens almost immediately after the season ends. <laughs> None of that stuff's going on in the NFL. So I, I don't really, unless there's someone that he has in mind that he's planning on bringing in, I don't understand the move right now. I guess we will find out more as it happens as this news got released about two hours ago. So we'll see here if we hear more. We'll definitely talk about it on Thursday with uh, with you and Tony. Other than that, Matt, thank you so much for joining me today, and I look forward to talking to you on Thursday. Yep, have a great evening. Prepare for glory! I don't know if you got your pop on there. Already. And he's in the end zone for an unbelievable touchdown. I would be honored 